Welcome to the Corporate Treasury 101 podcast. In today's episode, we talk with Amy Cullen. Amy is a seasoned treasury professional and had numerous leading roles in corporate treasury departments, such as Johnson Johnson, where she grew from business analyst to senior manager, capital markets and global cash analysis, or Carl Schroeder, where she was the head of treasury. She also is the president of the IACT, the Irish Association of Corporate Treasurers, and a thought leader in the treasury industry. Amy talks further about her role and the missions of the IACT towards the end of the episode, so I will not spoil too much for now. In the episode of today, expect to learn what is a treasury center and the difference with shared service centers, what are the benefits and requirements for setting up a treasury center, what are the common locations for such structures, why Ireland is a preferred location for treasury centers, what the IACT is and what do they do stand for and the role of Amy as a president and much, much more. Amy is just amazing. She's full of insights, truly embodies her role as a leader and the conversation is flowing and quite fun, to be honest. We really enjoyed it with Usam and we hope you will enjoy it as well. If that is the case, please consider leaving us a review on your favorite podcast app. It helps the podcast a lot and makes Usam and I very happy indeed. With all that being said, please welcome Amy Cullen. So Amy, thank you so much for joining us. You're going to take us through what treasury centers are, I believe. So could you just start off by telling us well, what is a treasury center? Thank you for inviting me to speak to you. In terms, like treasury centers are, what you're looking for really is how you would optimize and centralize your treasury activities. So a lot of companies will move from a decentralized treasury approach to a more centralized. I think in my experience, the optimum treasury center would be the in-house bank, which we can probably talk about a little bit later on. But what I have seen uh, in terms of treasury centers are regional. So where you might have your treasury operations, be it your back office, your, you know, which is your deal confirmations, your investments team or your foreign exchange team, all centralized in one location. Uh, I have worked in a couple of different companies where you might have an investment center. So the investment team would sit in one location, in my experience. So depending on the degree of maturity that a company has around its treasury, they will, you know, pick and choose which aspects of that whole treasury uh, workflow that they will centralize. So it's about getting, I guess, those subject matter experts into one one place. Okay, that's super interesting. We did a we did an episode a little while back with a Bart Hendricks where we talked about shared service centers. Yeah. So like, what's the? It sounds like the same thing. What's the difference between a treasury center and a shared service center? So I would see a shared service center as more focused on accounts payable, for example, or accounts receivable. So the bigger volume, maybe aspects of the supply chain, whereas treasury would be a lot more focused on the technical treasury piece. And so the execution of intercompany loans, for example, so that managing lending between your subsidiaries and the investments, so taking whatever excess cash you have, lending externally, or if it's a case that the company is more debt dependent, that you would centralize the management of that debt in a treasury center 
and again, deal directly with those counterparty banks. So it would be usually a lot smaller than a, a shared therapy center. Okay, very good. So what kind of activities would you expect in Treasury Centre then? So things like cash management, risk management, corporate finance, what, what all of those, none of those? Well, pretty much. And again, it depends on the size of the company. You know, I've seen um, Treasury Centres where the company share scheme would be part of that, that Treasury Centre. Company pension might fall under as well. Mergers and acquisitions would also sit in that particular Treasury Centre. Um, but I think on a, like say, normal basis or what would be common around a lot of companies would be the intercompany funding. So, you know, starting um, who needs to be funded, be it for like rollouts, new locations, just the general day to day working capital management would be done there. Absolutely. Liquidity management and cash management is probably at the core. Um, you'll hear a lot of treasurers complain about having visibility on bank accounts. So I think. It's really within the Treasury Centre, you will look to to optimise and to centralise that and to get that holistic view on all of the, the bank accounts that are within your company. So like that's the basic right of Treasury. Where is my cash? Who needs the cash within the company? And what should I be doing with it? And that's where you would feed on with that external view on investments. So, you know, do I look at money market funds, bank deposits um, or get more exotic or in commercial paper and medium term notes again like d- depending on your size but that size will actually dictate also what type of expertise you need within your treasury center and then obviously as you mentioned the risk management is crucial as well so at the very start that's typically currency so what currency risk do you have how should you be protecting yourself if you decide that you want to have a hedging program in place a lot of companies don't but if you want to execute those hedges or spot trades, that would typically be done in a treasury centre. And as we've seen more recently, lots of people getting into commodities. And again, depending on the complexity of your company, but that expertise sit, would typically sit within treasury. And also mergers, acquisitions, divestitures very much sits within treasury as well. Going back to the earlier point on the liquidity management, <clears throat> you know, one of the first things you do, I guess, when you acquire a company, figure out where their cash is and bring it into your own. Um, your own cash ecosystem. So you'd have a lot of that. And then obviously um, governance is a massive thing. Like that's at the core of what a lot of treasurers will do. So you will often have a team that's responsible for defining processes, policies, like educating people and making sure that there's adherence to those policies as well. So I think that is mostly what we would get busy at as treasurers. Very interesting. So in that setup, do you still have like regional treasury managers throughout and then have like certain activities localized uh, or centralized, sorry? Yeah. So very often you'll see like that hub and spoke approach. Your corporate treasury typically sits alongside your other corporate functions. You know, a treasurer will generally report into the CFO uh, in terms of the C-suite and within that then you would cascade globally. So you're looking, you know, Tax is obviously a big issue for a lot of companies in terms of where they locate, you know, the, the presence of their business, where most of their their business is done. Um, but that will also influence sometimes where you situate a treasury centre. So in terms of lending, you know, where your business is most active to, you will typically put your treasury centre because within the corporate treasury, you'll go down probably into an OUS treasury center that will be looking at the intercompany lending, looking at the investments, looking at FX. And then as part of that, you would also see a further reach out regionally. 
So if you're a multinational and your geographical footprint is worldwide, you would typically have a treasury centre in every region. So the reasons for that is obviously to connect with the business because you want to make sure that you have a centre locally that can support the business because treasury is, again, a support function. But you're closer to the business, you'll understand their flows, you'll be able to then define your risks, understand your cash, understand your needs. And it's very important to have that dialogue locally. So a lot of companies will put a regional treasury centre on the ground. You know, in regions like LATAM, ASPAC, it's a lot more complicated than you would see in mainland Europe or the US. You know, inflation, currency, that type of thing. So it just makes sense that you're on the ground with the the finance leaders and with the the business leaders. So you'll see a lot of companies situate like that. And again, it means that you've got to follow the sun, you know, sort of way of working. So everybody gets supported, which helps. But then, you know, as I think we we might touch on later, being Irish and able to promote Ireland as a as a treasury centre and as a hub for these type of treasury centres, you do see some companies looking for just one central location that will meet as many of the time zone needs as possible and can actually provide that geographical coverage because obviously it's not more efficient. Yeah, that's a that's a good point to to make the transition because we we definitely want to talk about locations. Where do those treasury centers sit exactly? But maybe to begin with, if there is anything we learned throughout those hundred plus episodes on the on the podcast, is that tax and legal implications are never too far from treasury, right? So what's what are they uh, when we when it comes to treasury centers? Actually, what are the tax and legal implications treasurers need to bear in mind? And since you broke it down already, globally and then regionally. Yeah, I think tax, treasury and legal are like either not always butting heads, but definitely holding hands and would like typically be around the table for these types of discussions. You know, with taxes, there's certain tax treaties when it comes to intercompany interest, for example, or, or dealings between countries that might influence how you manage your intercompany funding. But typically it's where is your presence, you know, so where you're doing more business like that gives you a natural tax presence. You never want to be in a situation where you're creating a tax exposure where there shouldn't be one. So I know this like slightly off topic, but in terms of people through COVID, where they people wanted to work right from really exotic locations and not their home country. But if if your business doesn't have a presence there and you're running like you're executing your day job there, you're creating a tax liability for the company. So, you know, these types of little things, obviously, tax always needs to keep an eye on. So we definitely work hand in hand with tax to make sure that you're adhering to any tax rulings or um, these types of uh, legislations. And then from a legal perspective, again, it's, you know, am I meant to be doing business in this country? What are the regulations? You know, making sure that you're complying with all of the uh, the regulations and requirements from a central bank perspective or just generally government regulations. So when it comes to treasury, that would be that would be what exactly like the way uh, how you sweep your cash, for instance, when you're in a cash pool uh, setup, how yeah. you make payments, uh, how much like if there is some floats, um, all this kind of stuff. Or what Absolutely, yeah. So once I suppose what I described there was really like the setup and, and what markets we would be in. But once you're active, it's absolutely. Can I as Portuguese sub- subsidiary lend to my you know German colleagues? Does that make sense? Um, and, you know, you have to be very careful about the um, equity structure, the, the capital structure of your affiliates, because, you know, different countries may deem a, an intercompany company loan to be 
a capital injection or a deemed dividend, depending on on how the organizational structure looks. So that's exactly right. Why you need you need to stay hand in hand with tax and with legal to make sure that where you're trying to optimize your cash management, you're not creating any concerns around that capital structure. It will dictate how you operate your cash pool as well. So do you want it to be cross border? Do you want to keep it in country? You know, how centralized and like efficient can you get without causing any uh, problems? Makes a lot of sense. And then to layers with the locations, what are the, we, we're going to have a full breakdown of Ireland because of course we, we can't wait to talk about this location in particular, but on the more general perspective, what are the main locations when it comes to treasury centers? So you broke down this regional aspect. Where yeah. would we find regional treasury centers and where do company like would prefer to establish the treasury center global one? Um, you know, the US, I think you would probably see centers more generally. So depending on, again, a lot of US multinationals will have them wherever their corporate headquarters are. And uh, I would say then more generally, Ireland definitely a hub for treasury centers within Europe, Belgium. Certain uh, companies would have a Swiss treasury center. I think in ASPAC, it would really be Singapore, right? That would be the main one. But then some companies are located within China. Obviously, because like that's such a complex economy, it just makes sense that you would have uh, a treasury center there. And uh, then for LATAM, typically Brazil, so Sao Paulo, but then an awful lot of companies, and I think which probably would have got a lot more um, rotations from abroad, companies will locate in Miami. So just being that sort of English, Spanish-speaking hub uh, that can give the support to LATAM more generally and then obviously interface a lot more easily with the the US. So uh, they would be the primary locations, I would say. Okay, so for Miami, I think I, I grasp why. <laughs> for my recent experience, to start definitely not the cheapest locations in terms of, <laughs> in terms of labor and like cost of, yeah, of, of talent. What do those locations have in particular to attract treasury centers? I think it is the talent, you know, like obviously like it is at a cost. It's the language, you know, so being able to have like obviously English being the primary business language for a lot of companies, but like that having the the workforce that is probably, you know, educated, qualified accountants uh, with a financial background. So that would typically be it. And, you know, the earlier question about the, the shared service centers, you would typically see the shared service centers located in lower cost regions or cities. And that highlights one of the differences between shared service center and treasury centers then to come back to uh, Sam's question. Yeah. Super clear. Yeah. Exactly. You also mentioned tax haven. All the countries that you mentioned had pretty good corporate tax schemes. If, yeah. Just to not beat around the bush. That's harder than, uh, than calling it a tax haven. But yeah. Uh, is that, that that probably plays a part as well in centralizing these things? Because it's not just treasury in these locations. It's sort of coupled with other corporate functions, I assume. Yes. Yeah, typically it would be, you know, again, going back to the, the partnership between legal and tax, you would probably have a regional and corporate tax function in the same location as, as treasury. Um. Yeah, you know, the tax incentives and the, the tax rates would help, uh, you know, and then it's more historic, I guess, because obviously we've got a lot more happening now in terms of BEPS, Pillar 2, and the tax harmonization where that mightn't be the, the 
primary driver and shouldn't be the primary driver. But historically, that is where that would have originated. I mean, certainly Ireland with the IFSC type structure, which was giving companies like 10% tax rate. Yeah, that would definitely be the history. But again, it's sort of it's self-fulfilling in that it would have attracted talent. People were educated, people have experience. And so now if you want to bring you know, your treasury center here, that's where you go to find the experienced teams that you want to execute on a, a technical mm-hmm. level. You know, you'll see an awful lot of spin-offs. So, for example, funds as well, locating in the same place that you would have a lot of treasury centers. There's an interesting analogy with manufacturing in the similar regard. So China was always seen as this very cheap place to manufacture like 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually not the cheapest place globally anymore, but they because they were so cheap back then, they built up so much manufacturing experience that yeah. it's just the best place to manufacture now because they have the experience and they're cost competitive. Uh, but there are cheaper places sprung up now that just didn't extract the same way because it's self-fulfilling. So interesting draw parallel. From a structure's point of view, Amy, I, I imagine that if you have this sort of hub and spoke model, a lot of your systems etc would have to be sort of built around that right so something as simple as your your tms or your erp would you see companies that have this hub and spoke model have different tms and erp implementations and does that drive it at all i think it makes it easier to have a more centralized approach to it mm-hmm. you know because the bigger companies, like a lot of the pharmaceutical companies, will have a treasury IT team that sits within treasury, which is always a win, uh, you know, because you're, you're developing the knowledge base and you have somebody on hand to help you develop that, that whole infrastructure. Like a decentralized treasury approach is more likely to have, you know, you might share a treasury management system, but you're probably not going to have a treasury management system. I think a lot of the times you'll see people just excel right, coming out of the ERP and some of the reporting done that way. You know, a lot of bigger companies, as we were talking earlier, do also have to manage without a TMS. But in my experience with the larger companies, they will take a single approach. And it means they can develop a treasury management system. They can develop the processes and controls around what they're doing and make sure that they're reflected in their IT infrastructure. So, you know, you're giving a way of working to all of your regions and it gives you that comfort as well, obviously, when you're staying at a corporate level that things are being executed in the proper way. You'll also, if you are centralizing your investments or you're centralizing your FX through a particular treasury center, it means you can also, you know, hopefully not customize too much, but you can focus on what you need to deliver and to automate that workflow as well. So, you know, you'll have the cost efficiencies of centralizing your trading we're centralizing your investments, so it will just make sense. You'll have the cash, let's say, or the justification for developing um, a really straight-through process. So that will also drive your technology and your IT agenda. That makes a lot of sense. What about in terms of your bank structure? How do you set that up in a hub-and-spoke treasury system model? And again, the, the point I made you know, about bank accounts, being a bugbear of treasurers and particularly if you're a very acquisitive company, (laughs) trying to keep a handle on them and and where the cash is, most treasurers will look to rationalize their bank accounts as much as they can. And that should also, you know, feed into how you define your banking relationship. Now, again, depending if you're cash generative or, you know, debt funded, that will dictate how you manage those banking relationships. But typically, 
you know, my experience, my view is as much as you can minimize the number of relationships you have and foster those relationships because you only have so much wallet to go around as well. You want to be important to the banks in that, you know, you want to demand a certain level of service and support from them. And that often comes, you know, with it's it's sort of parallel to or draws parallels to what you're the business you're doing with them, you know, whether they are happy to escalate you or give you that platinum service. Sometimes you can't help but have a more local bank, you know, due to taxes, payroll, that type of, you know, clearing relationship, depending on the countries that you're in. But my view is, you know, if you can minimize them, make good, solid, um, build solid relationships with the banks, that's going to work more in your favor and will help you then, you know, flagging, for example, if an affiliate locally decides to open up a bank account that they shouldn't. So it's just to help you just sort of enforce those controls, you know, so I think the banking relationships, again, would typically be managed by the treasury centres and that's what you would want to do. So then you can hold the banks accountable as to what they're meant to deliver and then also leverage them because the banks can be a great source of insight into developments, you know, like what's coming on in the markets, you know, what new products are there. They'll often share without naming names, but give you an idea of what your peers are doing, which is also great market information and, and good data points. So they're a very important relationship, I think, for a corporate treasurer. Small terminology question there. You, you said depends if you're debt operated or or cash something, I think you said. Is that like just like having a positive cash flow versus a negative cash flow? Or Yeah, pretty much. So I think... You know, if you have a revolving credit facility or you need to borrow from a bank, you obviously need to nurture those relationships because one of the risks is obviously your funding risk. So making sure that you will always have access to debt. And if you need to renew a facility, that you're staying close with your banks and they understand this and understand what your cash needs will be. Because as a treasurer, you want to make sure that you you secure that funding. Um, so that would be you know, a different type of relationship versus if I'm very cash rich. There's some banks, you know, particularly when interest rates were negative, don't want to hear from you because they don't want to take your cash. You know, so you, you'll have a bit of a, like different types of relationships depending on what your core objectives are. That's really interesting. So the ideal setup, correct me if I'm wrong, is that you actually have a bank which um, is maybe headquartered in the same place you have your treasury center, but with branches available in all of your local um, areas as well would that be like if you could design a bank that was perfect for you is that how you would design it or I wouldn't worry too much about their headquarters what I would try and match is their geographical footprint to mine so like pretty much it's there like the headquarters wouldn't worry me so much like obviously you know like you'd say in Ireland you'd have the green jersey approach that you know they're an Irish bank they'd like to support an Irish company uh, and I'm sure that's true worldwide um, but if you have a multinational business, it would be less of a consideration. It's really just matching that geographical footprint. Okay, very clear. So going back to the implications of this hub and spoke model to different aspects of being in a company, like, do you see that affect the company culture or the relationship that, so two questions, company culture within treasury as, as just a treasury department. And secondly, like, company culture in the relationship between treasury and other functions and other corporate functions within the same company. Yeah. How does that change perhaps with this? I think within, like if we take the treasury piece first, where you might have corporate treasury and then you'll have treasury centers at a regional level, there's definitely like there's a dynamic there in that probably the ways of working, your policies, your processes are going to come from corporate 
you'll be accountable to the corporate treasury to show that you've actually, you know, you're implementing these, you know, be it SOX controls or, or just proving um, that you're compliant with whatever the global policies are. Um, and that could be through quarterly reviews, through regular check-ins, cash management councils, risk councils, you know, various format, I guess, for the corporate treasury to come together with the regional treasury. You know, corporate treasury will rely on the regional treasury team to tell them what's happening at a local level and on a country level. There'll be certain metrics around that, you know, like what cash is sitting where, why is it with certain banks, you know, the tough questions can come. So that would dictate that. Like there is that reliance on information between corporate and regional treasury and important that you maintain that relationship. I think, you know, certainly what I found as I was lucky enough to have a couple of international rotations, corporate can also can sometimes be a little bit idealistic. So they know how they would like it to run, but you often need people on the ground to say, well, look, that's just not feasible, you know, in this country due to this regulation or, you know, this way of working or the culture in a certain company. You know, you're not going to give anybody a pass just because they don't want to do it or they don't like doing it or that's just not how they do it. But I think it's feeding that in to say, okay, how do we educate people or how do we take a different approach to make sure people are compliant by understanding that dynamic? So there's definitely that aspect, I think, which is interesting. And then like on the second question for treasury and the business, let's say, you know, if you have corporate treasury, again, it's that ivory tower type thing, right? People on the ground level, if you're US headquartered and you have somebody, I don't know, like in New Zealand or even in South Africa or somewhere, you know, depending, like very focused on uh, time zones. But if the time zone is different, it's going to be hard to build that relationship, right? And to share information. And if I'm a bit removed from corporate treasury as a finance director, I might just go and, you know, if the local bank knocks on my door and wants to tell me about these great initiatives, I might be more inclined you know, to to work with them and to make my own decisions on how the cash is management managed, which is not what you want. So I think if you don't have a regional treasury structure as a corporate treasury, you need to be making a lot of trips, right? And, you know, calling on finance directors and understanding their business because, you know, like I mentioned, KPIs and reporting earlier, that only tells you so much. Like you really need to understand the business dynamic, the rotations from treasury into the business and the business into treasury are really, really useful because you're sharing information, you're understanding more than just, okay, what are you going to do with the cash and and who needs a loan? Like you really need to understand what are the drivers behind your cash flow, you know, and your risk, where it, like what could potentially be an exposure for us. So that interaction between treasury and the business is crucial. And obviously the regional treasury approach makes it easier. You know, because probably you don't have the language barrier. You understand the countries and the the business practices. Um, so it makes it that little bit easier to get information out of people and to share information, you know, and, and to be more useful, I guess. So if you are a young corporate treasurer starting his career or like a, or her career and in a few years into treasury and you like business trips, you'd rather go in a decentralized treasury that because you're more likely to travel, right? Potentially, potentially. Yeah, yeah. So I think even as a regional treasury, you can always justify them. That's that's a fair statement as well, indeed. So sticking to this company aspect and the, the broader value of treasury towards the corporates, are only uh, companies of a certain size concerned by treasury centers? Because so we also have discovered that corporate treasury, or at least the best-in-class corporate treasury, also is a luxury that only big companies can afford because you, you don't hire a corporate treasurer when you're rather small, right? 
So is Treasury Center even a step further or how can we look at this exactly? Yeah, I think you're probably right. Like the centralization in like a designated Treasury Center just is more appropriate when you've got a bigger footprint. I, you know, having worked at a smaller Irish company, like 400 employees, the treasury function sat under a finance director. You know, sometimes I think if it's a smaller company, you should still carve out the treasury team, be it, you know, a one, two person team into the CFO. I think it has to be considered in the same way you might look at tax. I think it needs its own reporting line because yes, treasury is a finance function, but treasurers and accountants look at cash very differently. You know, they're going to look at risk and exposure and currency management very differently. Not to say that you need the CFO in the middle, but I think you need to be able to give the two sides of the story. It's very hard to squeeze the treasury view into the the finance view um, without losing, you know, some aspects and some insights. So I would say even if you're a small company, it is really good to break out that treasury team, have it stand alone into the CFO and let them focus on the cash and let them focus on the risk with that sort of level of independence, if you like. Mm. And so would typically treasury centers or even small treasury teams that have a centralized structure be sitting next to the CFO? I'm talking location-wise. Are you looking at having your CFO next to you or can it be like decentralized on that aspect? It could be, but what I've seen is the treasurer will typically report into the CFO in that C-suite. Yeah, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. You mentioned something earlier, Amy, and maybe you could just touch on it again. You, you just briefly touched on in-house banks. Yes. Could you give, just give us a very quick definition of what an in-house bank is and how that affects everything we've been discussing so far? Yeah, certainly. So the in-house bank, you know, in my view, and I'm sure it's shared, is probably the ultimate in terms of optimized treasury because you essentially become the bank to all of the legal entities within your company. So they shouldn't have any third-party banking relationships. And, you know, in some countries, they mightn't even have a bank account because Treasury will be the bank. So if you have excess cash, you give it to the in-house bank. So you will have like an internal investment structure with them. If you have any currency exposure, you will trade. So in the same way, you might go out to like a Santander or a Citibank you will actually trade directly with the treasury center. So you'll tell them if you need to buy or sell a currency, you know, you don't need to worry about making your payments. So the treasury center would make what we call payments on behalf of. So you don't need to have a local accounts payable bank account. Um, Treasury will make those payments for you and then charge you back through what we would call like essentially an in-house bank account. So you will have that bank account with the in-house bank and they will, you know, take away the accounts payable, if you're receiving very often, because a lot of the banking structures can now support this as well, that you could pay to the Treasury Centre on behalf of your Spanish affiliate or your Italian affiliate. And so, again, depending on how good your your IT support is and your systems, you know, you can automatically classify that from your Treasury Centre account and give the credit to your Spanish subsidiary, for example. So you'll, same as your own current account, you'll see all these transactions come and go across the statement. Yeah, so no need for a local bank account. You'll always, as I mentioned before, have the tax or payroll, but they would be exceptional. And everything then that the affiliate would need to do, they will bank with you. So would that structure only work with this centralized treasury system, I guess, right? Pretty much. 
pretty much because you do need the IT support. You know, like if you think about it, like larger companies, like you can only imagine the amount, particularly like consumers, you know, or there's just with smaller customers, the amount of transactions that would be going into a bank account. So you really do need the IT support or your bank support to help you identify and, and classify what those transactions are and who the legal entity is that owns them because it's paramount that you retain the legal entity and the, the legal ownership of those cash flows. So again, you know, the Inez bank structure will also be geographical dependent. So we should probably caveat that as well. We've mentioned it a few, a few times and uh, I think we, we can't wait to talk about it. Treasury centers in Ireland. Um, and maybe to, to begin with, Amy, um, can you, I mean, how would you define uh, a best-in-class treasury center? Best-in-class treasury center, I think, you know, the centralization, like obviously the optimum, as I mentioned, is the in-house bank. So if you can really service the affiliates across the globe, you know, that is really to me, would be best in class. I think if you have the automation, um, if you're centralizing your investments, if you have a way to identify and offset your currency exposures, so you're actually just trading whatever you need to trade, it's, you know, that to me is really best in class. Okay. And in terms of in terms of technology, what, what would you have exactly here? Like a fully optimized TMS connected through all the subsidiaries as likewise for the payment hub, this kind of stuff? Yeah, that's ideal. You know, if you have the treasury management system, it's fantastic. We were discussing earlier, you know, um, about treasury management systems and what you would look for. I think there is a trend towards the more modular treasury management system, which is great because you can actually then pick and choose what you need depending on your treasury, your size, what you do. I think that's great. And you do need somebody, though, to centrally decide what's the optimal but I think in terms of plugging that in now, again, the advancement in technology and the system providers being more willing to be a bit more agile, you can plug into cash, standalone cash forecasting models to dealing platforms. Most will go easily into an ERP without much need for development. And I think, you know, as much as you can plug in, the better because you're reducing operational risk. You're not as dependent necessarily on people you know, straight through process, much better controlled, even when it comes to foreign exchange deals or uh, investments, if you can automate the confirmation back, it just gives that certainty, you know, again, that you, you're seeing everything that you need to see, but then also you're helping out your bank rec team, your accountants, because again, if you can take from the, the bank statement and you can auto-populate an ERP, again, it takes away a lot of that manual work and people have more time to analyze or to think about things rather than just building out models and posting. And yeah, and gets away from very manual tasks and more focus on the analysis and added value of treasury. Exactly. Super clear. So okay. we we talked earlier about so the, the talent aspects uh, and the preferred locations for treasury centers. Those doesn't sound like the like the cheapest, right? So are there any cost implications when it comes to treasury center? Because I guess the, the initial objective is to optimize treasury and so make it more efficient cost-wise and also provide more value into cash optimization, for instance, or like debt issuance and so on. So what are the aspects when it comes to cost efficiency into best-in-class treasury centers? What are you looking at? I think the going in as a corporate treasurer is corporate treasury is a cost center. Right. So, you know, you're going to cost, you try and bring the efficiencies, as you mentioned. Yes. You know, 
with cash management, with the FX and, and reducing the number of transactions, reducing the number of bank accounts, not needing to go into the market to fund, you know, that all helps. Then you try and add value, you know, through that. How can I work with the business to get them to stand them up in a new market, you know, give them that bank account infrastructure or currency exposure or currency support that they need. You know, these are all the costs, but you see the the added value of the governance and of the the risk management and funding optimization. In terms of people, you know, as much as you can centralize, it obviously helps you then in terms of the IT infrastructure that you put in place. And so maybe you don't need as many people as you would have. And it goes back to what we discussed on the shared service centers, that you would probably go to a different location if you feel you're going to be, you know, require a large team. So, yeah, I think in some ways we try and, you know, reduce the number of bodies within Treasury if you can through systems because it just makes it easier. And then Treasury is moving more towards a an advisory type function. So, Amy, sing us, sing us praise of Ireland specifically and everything that you've said. So tell us, like, specifically why Ireland um, <laughs> is like a a location which tends to attract these treasure, treasure centers so much. Yeah, I'll try and focus my glowing uh, recommendations <laughs> on Treasury. You know, like the example you gave of China, I think, God, it must be what, like 30 years ago now, the IFSC was born in Ireland. So it was a dedicated financial services center where a lot of companies were encouraged through tax incentives. And, you know, we had that headline rate of 10% encouraging people to do their financial dealings in Ireland. So you would put your your intercompany lending here, you would fund globally uh, through a centre in Dublin. And with that came the banks, right? So they came to support the the companies that decided to put their their finance services centre in Ireland. Those ancillary pieces were established and they stayed. People became more educated. It was an industry that people wanted to go into. So the expertise is there. And even though the tax incentive is like pretty much gone and will go away as we go towards tax harmonization, the quality, I guess, of the talent available remains. Obviously, we are the only English-speaking country now in the EU post-Brexit. So that has a huge benefit, particularly if you're trying to bridge US, Europe and Asia. So it just makes it a little bit easier Obviously, from a time zone perspective, it's easier within Ireland to capture more of the the globe. So, you know, you would go over like Singapore, maybe like seven, eight hours. LATAM could be between two and five hours, depending on which countries, you know, like if we're thinking about Brazil, obviously Colombia, uh, Chile, Argentina, there'd be a bit of a difference there. But if you got your big financial centers in Brazil... It makes it a lot easier. And even West Coast of the US is a little bit more palatable for people. So they'd be some of the bigger uh, concerns and reasons, I guess, to to locate in Ireland. So the skill workforce, time zone, language. We have the euro, obviously, which makes it a lot easier in terms of currency exposure for mainland Europe, but then also looking at whatever currency pairs and um, like being liquid in terms of sterling and dollar banking framework i think sepa is obviously a big thing so we can you know look to make a lot cheaper payments being based out of or having your your treasury center bank accounts in ireland what else would i say i think even then from a, a common law perspective so i think our legal framework is probably more conducive to business obviously the uk being such an important market for a lot of companies it's on a par so our our, our legal 
uh, framework would be similar. So I think just a lot around that. And again, just that ancillary service, we've got a lot of really good international law firms here, uh, tax advisors, like the usual big four and accountancy uh, bodies. So like the, the structure is here to easily set up and do business in Ireland. And lovely people, right? You mentioned legally <laughs> into that. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. No, it's, I mean, yeah, I mean, just listen, it seems like Ireland has always been like this, um, like the UK, the bridge between the UK and the EU or Europe, yeah. mainland Europe, let's say, um, in a lot of ways and, and politically and geographically, it also serves that purpose in a lot of ways as well. So that's super interesting. But indeed, the time zone is something you never really think about. I think until you've worked for an international company where you've yeah. got to be based or work with people in completely opposite time zones, you don't really realize just how important that is to just s smooth business. Yeah. Yeah. And that ease of business overall. Yeah. And, you know, like with Treasury, as it were, a risk function, like if something goes wrong, you know, you really need to be able to get people and, you know, thinking about, OK, where would banks be open? So, for example, being based in Ireland, I can manage cash in the US and I can also manage it in Asia. And, you know, I can consolidate it. I can invest it so I can be a lot more efficient through the day mm -hmm. uh, in terms of what you need to do. But absolutely, as I said, you know, colleagues in, in Singapore, I really felt for them, you know, and. and yeah hours that they have to work and it goes back you know thinking about attracting talent which is a problem across all industries at the moment if you want to give people that work-life balance you know you don't really want to have them up at dawn and then go to bed sort of you know 18 hours later you mentioned the ifsc yes um, could you just like touch on that a little bit more what exactly is that what do they do so it was the international financial services center that was its its title, and it's in Dublin city centre. So it was an area, I suppose, that was undeveloped along what would have been Dockland a couple of years ago, and it was really a government initiative together supported with the IDA, which is the Development Authority, um, responsible for bringing in foreign direct investment into Ireland, and still is, I suppose, in building those relationships and promoting Ireland as a, a place to do business. Um, but within companies that were registered, in that region, so within this particular Dawkins area, would be able to avail of a 10% tax rate. So that really, it was all about regenerating the area and bringing employment and, you know, putting Ireland on the map. So obviously a lot of international companies decided to set up there. When I left college, I actually joined the Amro IFSC. So that was responsible for managing the outsourced treasury services for a lot of international companies. And it was a very easy add-on. So if the bank had a relationship in the US with a US multinational, it was very easy for them to say, okay, if you want to move your intercompany netting, so the process for paying your intercompany invoices, move it to this IFSC company, they'll be able to do that for you on an outsourced basis. And then that company could avail of a 10% tax rate. So it would be a spin-off of those US companies managed by, you know, Citibank had theirs, Bank of America. JP Morgan, a lot of the bigger banks had this IFSC model. Maybe leading to this uh, organism, uh, those islands enable those best-in-class type of treasury centers that we that we mentioned earlier. Is it is it proper for that? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think again it goes down to the experience and the the quality of talent, but also the fact that the IFSC is such an established structure and well-known, you know, it also has attracted a lot of funds. So a lot of funds are Irish registered. You know, I think predominantly in Europe, 
it would be Ireland or maybe Luxembourg as where uh, hedge funds would be registered because of that expertise that has been accumulated. So a lot of people will come to Ireland with their financial services requirements because of the talent, because of the infrastructure. You know, I mentioned we have all of our um, legal supports. You've got a lot of tax companies based here and a lot of the banks are headquartered here. So we've got all of the big players would again not necessarily be within that remit of the the IFSC now, but certainly if you go along the the Liffey in Ireland, um, you'll see a lot of the big global banks have you know a very large presence in Ireland to support. With Brexit, obviously, you know that we got a few new um, joiners, but you know what you need in terms of supporting your treasury and supporting the financial piece of your business is available in Ireland. Super clear. And maybe continuing with Ireland, um, can you explain us a little bit more about the IACT, so the Irish Association of Corporate Treasurers? What is what is their role exactly? So I'm president of the IACT this year and delighted. Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> um, but like really, really enjoy the role because throughout my career, the IACT has been a really important point of contact for me in terms of peer-to-peer networking, sharing of best practices, understanding what the legislative changes are, how we need to adapt, you know, what are my peer companies doing, you know, back in the time in advance of Brexit, when we're looking at pillar two tax changes, for example, what are you thinking about doing? You know, what do we think the implications are going to be? It's, I would say, importantly, um, it is that sharing of best practices, you know, and the networking, the educational piece. So I can sign up to a briefing on a particular topical issue and I can actually reach out to the ICT and say, could you put this on, please? Because, you know, Ireland, again, Treasury globally is small, but in Treasury in Ireland is even smaller. So people will know each other and have that access um, to be able to ask for it. So I think, you know, two of the main advantages, I would say, or the offerings that the IACT will give to the, the Treasury community is that educational piece and the opportunity to network and understand what people are doing. Only yesterday we had uh, a Women in Treasury-led event together with HSBC looking at demystifying Treasury tech. So going back to, you know, the conversation we've had on how do you optimise your tech it's an investment, it's expensive, it's disruptive. So it's great to have the opportunity to hear from people, like, what are you doing? How are you doing it? What were your lessons learned? And to, to share that. For me, going from companies like Johnson Johnson to a smaller company, it's great to still be able to speak to the multinational companies to see what best in class is and what I can cherry pick from what they're doing and implement, you know, from for my company. Have you seen that? NTAs in general, right? These national treasury associations in general, are they all like that? Is IACT somewhat best in class? How do you see it versus others? I know you're biased because you're president. <laughs> no, I could be a deck. Maybe you're going you're gonna to make, make it the best in the world. Or Well, the IACT is part of the European Association of Corporate Treasurers. So you will see differences, particularly with the ACT, so the UK Association of Corporate Treasurers, who now have, I think, the North America Treasury Association as well. So they are obviously a lot bigger and they would have dedicated staff. Whereas for the IACT and I think in a lot of the smaller countries, it's a voluntary committee. So you'll be asking people basically to give up their time and to join this committee, you know, to try and steer and, you know, decide and talk about and think about what might be interesting to the treasurers and what they they want to hear about. 
But then one thing I didn't actually mention just a moment ago, another responsibility of the IACT is in advocating on behalf of treasurers as well. So if you have accountancy bodies making proposed changes or legislation comes in, you know, even things around EMIR, for example, we can consolidate that feedback from our members and then elevate it so we would bring it to the Department of Finance, to the Central Bank of Ireland, but then through our EACT structure, we can also bring it to Europe and have that discussion and then hear across peer organisations what they're thinking and what they're doing um, and then just band together, you know, to try and get the uh, the voices heard. That makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so what's the typical structure of these of an of the ICT? So you're a president, you have does the ICT have a treasurer? It does. It absolutely <laughs> great treasurer, yeah. <laughs> um, he's got the right balance of, you know, <laughs> keeping us accountable, but then also fully supportive of um, you know, making sure that we're investing in briefings, that we're hosting the right amount of briefings, that we're, you know, giving members what they need as well and the opportunity to network and to learn. So, yeah, we absolutely have a treasurer. So our executive committee, if you like, is the president, vice president and treasurer. And this year we have, I think it's 11 people on the committee. So working to get that gender balance and also a good level of experience and representation across the committee. So we have, um, you know, multinationals, we've got Irish companies, we've got people focused on investments, then people that might be group treasurers. So we're we're very, very lucky. As I mentioned, like it is a small community in Ireland, but people are really engaged um, and like to be able to to interact and to share ideas. I wonder if it's even more prestigious to be treasurer of the of the Irish Treasurers <laughs> Association. <laughs> that seems potentially it's an interesting role. Uh, very cool. Um so how many members are you right now? Like, so uh, in, across Ireland? Approaching about 450. Wow, that's not small yeah. at all. No, no. And, you know, this year, and I suppose last year, we, we really kicked off like a young treasurer initiative to try and get people in at a, a younger age. We're really seeing, you know, that take off this year. We've had a lot of really um, oversubscribed events, I would say. Um, we're looking at the women in treasury piece because... You know, I've done treasury all my life. I know a huge amount of female treasurers. I know women that are in very senior positions. But when I joined the IACT a couple of years ago, after coming back to Ireland from being in the US, I was looking at the membership profile and there are only 20% women, which I thought was very strange given what I had seen and had a, like a few conversations with, with female treasurers. And it was just the ability to participate. You know, I told my entire team are female, um, but we just, it's just the participation. So as a committee, we've really focused on that and tried to give the opportunities, you know, be it the timing of the events, what are we discussing, what do people want to hear about? So we've seen that improve as well. So I think we're well over 30% now um, and growing. So, you know. Very cool. Really, really good. Yeah, it's good to see. Super important. So trying to link those two topics together, we've been discussing uh, Amy, the the ICT and Treasury centers. Are you guys working towards like fostering this culture further? Like, do you see like this sort of well, what we said, right? Self fulfilling prophecy. Is the ICT itself one of those factors that's pushing Treasury centers in Ireland further? Yes, I mean, in that you know, we do a lot through like say our ICT awards where we'll promote like you know Treasury centers or people that have done really really interesting things. 
Um, so just showcasing that Irish talent, we, you know, we're very close. We do work closely with the ACT. So, you know, you're going and speaking with people. Uh, we work closely with the IDA. So just, again, to give them a base, have been very happy to speak to companies that might be considering locating in Ireland, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but then also, I think the key challenge is that talent piece and letting people know, you know, you do have the expertise here and you do have the structures. So part of, you know, obviously our organization is very focused on education, but it's also why this year we're focusing on the inclusion and the education. Because I think Treasury can have this very, you know, people might have a stereotypical testosterone fuel trading desk in their head when they, mm-hmm. they think about Treasury, but Treasury is so broad. You know, we talked about the different types of treasury centers that you have there is the governance piece there's the regulatory piece there, yes there's the trading piece there's the IT piece um, there's so much to it like it really is a multifaceted career and I think it's important as an IACT to promote that and to give examples mm. um, you know again because then you've got a good talent base for companies to take advantage of uh, we also want to stay on top of the banks you know demanding from them that they sort of talk to us about new products that we tell them what we need and and they develop and then we give them because we've got a lot of great patrons in the banks and in the advisory services that will come and talk to us about what's new in the market, which is also really important. So I think that would really be it, how we're trying to advocate for that treasury career. And what's your role more globally? Or do you have a reach like beyond Ireland and Europe? Like do different treasury associations work together? Like with the US Treasury Association, which perhaps you're a part of when you're staying there. Do you guys do anything together or would you like to see more of that? In Europe, there'd definitely be a lot more. And yes, I would like to see more of it. Um, But what we will do um, typically is done. So, for example, we'd have our annual dinner. We have our annual conference. We'll always invite the president or or some of the committee from the other ACTs around the world to to join us. So they Mm -hmm. come up with their ideas that way. And like it's a lot easier through the EACT Mm -hmm. because established conference you know, we have representative with the EACT from our committee. And so he mm. will go and attend meetings and I think they're probably monthly and feedback to us what people are talking about there. So that's how we keep that dynamic going. Um, I think the Middle East is going to become a massive market, right? You know, if you think about, so like even Dubai was always touted as being a next hub for a treasury centre. Like you definitely, when you think about the different countries that are within Africa and like being closer, like thinking again about time zones, being able to go and visit those countries, you know, that's probably somewhere, I know the ACT obviously has the presence there, but probably a lot more for us to do in terms of sharing experiences in those markets and what might work and, you know, the products that you should be thinking about. Because like a lot of countries, like, you know, if you look at India, are demonetized, like they don't really want to use cash. Everything is digital. So they, that presents challenges for treasurers and it's great to have people and associations on the ground that you can reach out to there to again, connect Mm -hmm. your workers, you know, so there's lots of scope for interaction and and idea sharing. Interesting. If you had one more point, so we touched on um, diversity and inclusion, uh, Mm -hmm. gender inclusion and, and seniority inclusion. We touched on the more wider reach and tapping into other regions that perhaps don't have that much of a developed treasury association. In your reign as president, did you have any other goals that you were uh, that you are working towards that really because it's really important for the ICT? The inclusion is a big thing for me, um, and making our presence known. So I think 
we probably all have Zoom fatigue, right, after mm. COVID. But what's very important to me is having in-person events for people to join and to meet somebody, you know, because I don't think that every interaction has to be done through an ICT briefing or social event. What's very important to me is that people make those relationships and then can go off and then meet separately, you know, for coffees, for Zoom meetings, if it has to be, or on site to share best practice, but just that you grow it. Um, we're also making a concerted effort to go into the colleges. So to see how can we work with the graduate programs, you know, different finance courses within the, the main universities in Ireland and also through some of the other professional bodies. Again, promoting treasury as a career, but then knowing that when you take on your role as a treasurer, you're absolutely speaking to the finance directors, you're talking to the tax team, you're talking to legal. So just building those relationships. And again, just like I'm a huge advocate for a treasury career. So as much as I can do to to promote it and to sort of sing its praises to people, like I'm happy to do that. And that's really where we're going with the committee this year. Cool. Amy, thank you so much for, for sharing your expertise with us. Is there anything that we didn't touch on or you want to add on to the different topics that we discussed? I don't think so. I think I know it wasn't the most eloquent of description. No, no, no. It was amazing. It's great. And like, if people want to know more about the ICT and, and connect with you, where can they go? Well, we have the treasures.ie website. So we have all of our events there. I am very happy. A lot of the events are open to non-members as well as members. So can connect through there or then obviously I have my LinkedIn profile. So, Which will all be in the show notes below. Amy, thank you so much for ha having us. Thank you very much, Sam. Thank you. 